Well, again, welcome to Redemption Parker. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, begin to work your way to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. We're in our series on the King and the Kingdom. This is our way of, of just realigning our hearts with that which is of ultimate importance. There is a king. His name is Jesus, and he's brought his kingdom to heaven, from heaven to earth. So, uh, as you're turning there, I was thinking uh, my, about my 30th birthday. And the reason I was, I was thinking that day, uh, 15 years ago, I was thinking about uh, just this, this was going to be an amazing day. We were living in Okinawa, Japan. I was doing ministry in the, with the military. Uh, I decided to grab about 10 of my friends and we were going to go deep sea fishing because, I mean, we were on the island and we liked tuna and all those, those, those things. And so uh, I thought this was going to be amazing. But my first warning that it wasn't necessarily going to be amazing that my intuition was actually misleading me was when the captain of the, the, the boat, is, you can't call it a ship, it's a small boat, uh, said, hey, you, you need to show up at the port at like 2.33 a.m. I'm like, oh my goodness, okay. So we, we get a, an hour or two of sleep, we drive down to the port, and I realized in that moment why we had to show up so, so early. I was thinking deep sea fishing, like, oh, it'll be a nice day. We'll, we'll go uh, uh, 500 yards off, a couple miles off the coast, and we'll, we'll catch some tuna. This is going to be an amazing time. No, no, no. <clears throat> we went on a journey. It was like a four-hour journey out from the, the southern tip of Okinawa into the center of the Pacific Ocean. The captain, when we got there, said that we were actually over the second deepest place of the entire ocean. Like, we were out there. And, and, and I knew that this was going to go poorly because uh, I thought, hey, man, I, I took the Dramamine. I, I had the patch behind my ear. But as soon as I lost sight of the land, man, I just started getting sick. So sick. And, and all of us were getting, everyone but the captain was getting sick. And we're all just retching in, in this little boat with these waves that go way up and you don't see anything. And then you go to the top and you see everything. And then you go back down. Uh, like it was, it, we, we were just trying to try to, you, you just only have so much breakfast in your stomach. So after a little while, you have nothing and your body's just beating itself up. Just like, like body blows, just punching me, punching me. And eventually my friends kind of got over. They were enough to get, get their, their reels out there and start fishing, but not me. Oh, no, no. For eight hours in the hot sun, I'm laid out uh, just begging God to either get me back home or to, to take me because it was the worst day of my life. Like, it was just terrible. And I knew I was in the middle of nowhere. I knew there was no relief uh, to be had. And what I thought, what my intuition said, this is going to be an amazing day, was the worst day of my life, my 30th birthday. And so eventually we uh, make our way back and, and get in the port and it gets calm and I kind of come up, uh, get up and groggy-eyed and, and I just want to get off the boat and go home and take a shower and go to bed. And so uh, I get back to my house and uh, my wife greets me. She said, how was it? I was like, it's the worst day of my life. I got to go to bed. And, and she's like, okay. But as I'm walking down the hallway to, to go to bed, my phone rings and I see that at the time I worked for the Air Force Chapel, I see that it was the, the wing chaplain, the head chaplain, the colonel calling me and, and you don't ignore that call. And so I, I answered, I'm like, hello. And he's like, hey, Mark, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry it's a Saturday, but uh, the, the Pacific Air Force generals are in town and we told them about the young adult ministry that you lead and the building you have. Uh, we, we need you to come here uh, and, and give a presentation <laughs> and, and tell the generals of the Air Force what you're doing. 
I'm like, oh man, this sucks. So this day is only going to get worse. And so uh, I can't go sleep. I, I, I take a quick shower and I drag myself onto base. And, and, and as I go in the building and walk around the hallway, I'm just like, this is terrible. This is, okay, get it together. And as I came around the corner, all I hear is, surprise! <laughs> It was a birthday, surprise birthday party. I was like, what? So the generals are not there. The colonel is, but uh, it's my faith family. It's the church. It's, it's and my wife and my two-year-old, and, and she's nine months pregnant, and they're, they've, they've thrown this party for me, and, and it turned out to be an amazing party. We had a great time. We had some of the tuna that the other guys caught. I didn't catch anything, uh, but we, we just had this kind of awesome time. And, and the reason I tell that story is because it's kind of a microcosm of, of my life, and in some sense, probably your life as well. That there are moments where my intuition says, oh man, this is going to be great. I, I'm going to plan it, and I, you're just going to, and, and it's the worst. And there's other times where you're like, this is going to be awful. I can't believe I have to go into this situation, and it's amazing. And, and it just kind of reveals to us something that I, I continue to bump up into my life with my life is though my, there, there's this voice in my head and there's this voice in your head. And by the way, no one talks to you more than you do. And I just proved it because you're like, no, I don't. And you just talk to yourself. No, no one speaks to you more than you do just constantly in your head saying, hey, this will make you happy. You should do this. You should have said that. Next time you could do that. If you had a relationship with that girl or that guy, that would make you happy. Oh, that didn't work out. What about the next one? Or if you bought that, I bet if you financed that, that, that would make you happy. And it's just constantly going and going and going. And probably the, the most is when you, your head hits the pillow after a long day and the voice is like, hey, I'm still here. I, I got to tell you some things. And for me, I've got to like read a novel or, or some, some other book, some other story that gets me in a totally different world so that voice, I don't hear that. And I've got to time it just right that I turn off the light and I'm still in that world because otherwise that voice will keep me up all night. And it's constantly plotting. And it's telling me, hey, this is for your joy. This will make you happy. In fact, everything that you and I do, the voice in our head is trying to convince us, here's where happiness is found. It reminds me of uh, Blaise Pascal, a Christian philosopher, mathematician, died when he was 39 years old, but brilliant guy. He said this, he said, in, in 350 years ago, he says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end, happiness. The cause of some going to the war, going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will will never take the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. It is this voice in our head that's saying, hey, do what makes you happy. This will make you happy. Whatever makes you And Pascal is saying, that's all you do. That's all I do. Here's the problem. That voice in our head, it's not God. It's finite, not infinite. It's limited. Like, like it doesn't really know all the circumstances. It, it, it doesn't know how terrible deep sea fishing is. It, it doesn't know that there's a, a, a birthday party at the end of this for you. Like it doesn't know all that. It just thinks it knows. And it's very confident in telling you this is the way the things are going to play out. And it constantly tells us, constantly says, this will make you happy, this will make you happy. But it doesn't know all things. It's a, it does, isn't in all places. It's not all powerful. So, so for example, on January 1st of this year, when you planned out your year, <laughs> come on, <laughs> who had global pandemic penciled in on there? No one? No one? 
Yeah, because you don't know what you think you know. And we think we know how this is going to end. Guess what? None of us do. Oh, we think we do. No, no, I, I'm pretty sure, Mark, it's going to be like this. Well, maybe, maybe not. Now, now, the reason I tell you all this is because I just want you to be aware, even as we go through this passage, that, that the voice is going to be talking to you. And, and Jesus is going to say something, and then the voice is going to be like, I don't think so. But here's the other truth I want you to know. One, I want you to know that there's a voice talking to you, and it doesn't always have your best interests in mind. It says it does. It thinks it does. But, but your heart and my heart are, are twisted. There, there's sin. It, 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 it lies to us. It deceives us. No one lies to you more than you do. And so just be aware of that. The second thing I want you to be aware of is something I say almost every week, but especially this week, you need to know this truth. And you've got to hold this truth by faith because the voice is going to say, I don't know if that's true. So by faith, you've got to hold this truth. And, and the, the truth is that Jesus is passionately committed to your joy and his glory. He's passionately committed to your joy. Now, at first the voice says, good, I want Jesus to be passionately committed to my joy. That means he's my personal assistant, right? No, 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 no. Th that means he's going to, all the things the voice in my head says I want, he's going to help me get those things. No, he's got far more uh, deeper, better, uh, sovereign plans for your life, for your joy and his glory than that. And so you, we've got to hold these two things in tension. Jesus is for your joy. And he's, he's going to pursue it in a way that, that, that your intuition would never lead you to. And, and that's really what he's been doing through his whole gospel at this point. As he teaches, he says things that the world has never heard. So the beatitude, the blessed are, they're upside down kingdom stuff. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those that are persecuted. But blessed are those are, that are killed for my name's sake. Hey, all these things that we were like, no, that, that doesn't sound like blessing. He says, you are blessed. He's going to talk, talk about parables that just blow people's minds. He's going to heal and, and touch people that, that the people's intuition says, you don't touch those people. That makes you unclean. In every way, he's going to be so different than our intuition would lead us. And today, especially. So, so these two truths. Your intuition is talking to you constantly, and it's not always telling you the truth. And Jesus is pursuing your joy and his glory. And you've got to hold those things as we go through this passage. So, Matthew chapter 16. We'll pick it up in verse 13. If you were here last week, this is the, the season in Jesus' ministry. He's got about nine months left to live. He's in Gentile territory, uh, and, and he's speaking with his disciples. And so this kind of continues here. Verse 13 says, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, that's Gentile territory, he said to his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, what's the word on the street about me? And they're like, oh, Jesus, there's a word on the street about you. I, I, there, there, there is a buzz going on about you. And so the disciples confer and they're like, I've heard this. I've heard that. This is, this is what they're saying about you. And it's all good. So they said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So Jesus, they, they hold you in a very, very, in the Jewish mindset, like in the highest esteem possible. That's, that's what they think about you. You're like... Elijah, Jesus. He says, all right, okay, I get it. It's insufficient, but I, I get it. So he turns the question to his disciples. And, and he turns the question to anyone and everyone who has ever lived. It's a question that all of us at some point have to answer. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
Who do you say that I am? And the, the disciples, they confer together uh, again, and, and he's asking all of them, and, and they, they put forward their, their, their speaker, they put forward Simon Peter, and it says in verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now this is a, a watershed moment in the life and, and faith of the disciples. This is a, a light bulb has finally gone off. Two and a half years into following Jesus, seeing all that he's done, seeing the miracles, seeing the teaching, seeing him just uh, heal the Canaanite woman, all these things, uh, there is something finally clicks in there. And they're like, we get it now. You are the Christ. And that's not Jesus' last name, in case you didn't know. Uh, that's a title. So he's not Jesus Christ. He's Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. You are the one that, that we've been waiting for. You are the promised one. All the promises point to you. We believe you're that one, Jesus. More than that, you're the son of the living God. I mean, this is just amazing, finally dawning on them uh, kind of revelation. It took a few years, but they, they got here. And then Jesus gives them, shows them this really important spiritual truth for all of us. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah. His dad's involved. Like, this is a big deal. Blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So all true spiritual knowledge comes as a gift from God for God. See, see, see these disciples, it wasn't because they were smarter than anyone else. They, they weren't more morally upright. They, they, they didn't have a, their, their lives together that they could be like, oh, I've deduced that you are the Messiah. No, God revealed that Jesus just gives them this truth. So if you have any knowledge of who God is, any awareness of, uh, of God's grace and love, any true uh, truth about who God is, Jesus just told us the truth that he gave that to you as a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't deduce it. Like it is a gift. Now, how did he give it to him? Well, he gave it through ordinary means, but over time, eventually the Father opened their eyes to see that he's the Messiah. But even in knowing that, we're going to see in a moment that it's not like they know everything now. They rightly say you're the Messiah. They rightly say you're the Son of God. But their, their information about who Jesus is still limited. And guess what? It will always be limited. Like there's never going to be a moment in eternity 10 billion years from now where you are like, I got God now. I've arrived. No, every day, every moment is going to be a moment of endless discovery and awe fueling our worship forever and ever and ever because God's infinite and we are finite. So I kind of like that. I'm kind of jazzed about that, that there's always going to be more joy, always going to be more awe, always going to be more worship. And so they've got a little bit of the picture, but we'll see very soon they don't have enough of the picture. They're still in process. But he goes on. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father has. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, so, so he's doing a play on words, on this rock, I believe it's the, the confession that you're the Son of God, you are the Christ, on this truth, this foundational truth, I will build my church. And then look what he says. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, oftentimes we think about this, we're like, oh, I don't know what that means. It just means the church is going to be unstoppable, right? Like this weird picture of gates, not advanced. Like, no, actually it's a Jewish idiom. So, so in the Jewish mindset, it should actually be translated the gates of Hades. When you die, you go into Hades. And, and, and it's this picture of, of this place you go to and there's these gates. And because you're dead, those gates never open. 
Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and, and the gates of Hades are not going to stop it. And we're going to see why in a moment. In fact, the gates of Hades are going to be blown open. And death is not going to be the, the end of the game for him. But he says, it's going to prevail. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, you shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall, shall be loosed in heaven. Verse 20, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. They're like, well, Jesus, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Tell everyone that you're the Christ? Yes, but not yet. Again, they've just realized, you're the one that's been promised. You're the one we've been waiting for. But in their mind, their intuition and their background, their culture tells them, when the Messiah comes, it's all going to be blessing. It's all going to be reigning and ruling. It's going to be glory. It's going to be amazing. And so if they start going out saying, hey, we found the Messiah, everyone would be like, great, get the army. We're finally going to go against Rome, right? Wrong. Their understanding of the Messiah was right, but it was limited. And so he says, don't tell anyone. They wouldn't understand this until the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we see this very shortly thereafter in the very next verse. It says, from that time, in this moment where they finally realize who Jesus is, even though they don't fully realize, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Okay, we get that. You're the Messiah. That's where, that's where the Messiah is going to go. That's the city of the kings. Of course you're going to go to Jerusalem. And then he says, but, and suffer many things. What? Their intuition would never lead to that. The Messiah? No. Suffer? No. Many things? Why? From the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised again. But they don't even let their mind get to that point. They're just like, what are you talking about? That makes no sense. You're the Messiah. We just, you just affirmed our, our assessment of you that you're the Messiah. Now you're going to suffer. And then you say you're going to suffer by the hands of the Jewish leaders? Like, first of all, they, they, they should be celebrating you. Secondly, these are the same guys that every time they come around, like you checkmate them immediately? Like these guys are going to somehow corner you and, and, and kill you? This doesn't make any sense. No, this isn't, this isn't right, Jesus. Their intuition could not lead them there, even though Jesus, the Messiah, was plainly telling them he was going to suffer, die, be buried, and, and raised again. And then Peter, who 30 seconds before, five verses before, has just had this amazing confession of faith. Peter, look what he does. Peter took him aside, took Jesus aside, and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Did, do you see the insanity of that? Do you see just, just spiritual insanity that, that Peter, who's just seen Jesus as Messiah, can say, hey, hey, Messiah, come over here. I know you're the son of the living God, but you're wrong. You're wrong, and I'm going to rebuke you. This is craziness. This is spiritual insanity. Why in the, how in the world can Peter, in 30 seconds, go from up here to down here? Why? Because he had a problem that you and I have. Our problem fundamentally is that we all have way, way, way too low a view of who God is. 
Think about it. If you saw God, if you knew who God was, if you had just his glory, his holiness, his majesty on the front of your mind at all times, that would radically, radically change everything you do. It would change the way you talk to your neighbors. It would change the way you love your wife. It would change the way you raise your kids. It would change the way you go to work. It would change the way you view your money. It would change everything. But we, 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 we bring God down and our view of God is way too low. So low that at times, like Peter, I mean, we don't do it like this, but if we're honest with ourselves, we feel very, very comfortable rebuking Jesus. It's insanity. Jesus, come, come here, come here. Jesus, I know what you said about, about our flourishing and, and, and humanity and sexual morality, but it's 2020, Jesus. Surely you're wrong here. I mean, that's insanity. Jesus, come here, come here, Jesus. Jesus, I know that you warn often about the deceitfulness of wealth and, and getting stuff and how it just will, will trap me, but I don't believe you. I, I actually think if I do get that thing over there, I'll finally be happy, Jesus. And this is craziness. Like every time we pull Jesus aside and we're like, I, I'm going to do this. I know you said that, but I'm going to do this because we have too low a view of him, even though we can rightly say, you're the Messiah, but I'm going to do things my way. And Jesus is having none of it. He's having none of that kind of that because he is the king. We're not the king. He's the king. And look what he says. But Jesus turned, verse 23, but Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See what he's saying? Your intuition's wrong, Peter. Your earthly, worldly thinking is wrong, Peter. And he says, get behind me, Satan. The, the strongest rebuke from the lips of Christ to anyone ever is this. This is 30 seconds after the blessing of Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because in Peter's word, he hears the echo of the enemy. He, he remembers uh, Matthew chapter 4 when he starts his ministry and he goes out into the wilderness and, and the devil, Satan is tempting him. How does the, Satan tempt him? Satan basically says this, hey Jesus, you can have it all. You can have the crown without the cross. You can have all the power without the suffering if you just follow me, Jesus. And so when Peter's like, hey Jesus, come here, come here. Uh, th this will never happen to you. Jesus is like, I've heard this before. This is demonic, and this is wrong. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, it's just craziness in this moment. And so Jesus, in the next verse, just wants to, he's like, let me be absolutely crystal clear with, with you and anyone else and everyone in this room and everyone in the world. Let me be crystal clear of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Christ. Verse 24 is the clearest verse on the, in the Bible of what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus. This is basic Christianity. This is not extra credit. This is not for the extreme people. This isn't for people that are going to get extra crowns in heaven. This is going to be the characteristic of anyone and everyone who goes into heaven and everyone you meet for all of eternity. This will have characterized their life. This will be their DNA spiritually. Look what he says. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone... That means anyone. If anyone would come after me, that means if anyone would follow me, if anyone would be a Christian, if anyone would, would be one of my disciples, it says, let him, 
deny himself. Actually, in the Greek, it's more strong. It's imperative. He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Your intuition will never lead you there because your intuition says, never deny yourself. Always get what's yours. Always do what you want. And Jesus says, if anyone's going to be a true follower of mine, he must deny himself. There are moments where, where you're at a crossroads and Jesus is going this way and, and you're, you're, yourself is saying, oh, this would feel so good. This would be so amazing. And Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. And just to up, up the ante even more, because we hate that, he says, in case it's not clear, and you take up your cross. Now, I think we get this, but we also sentimentalize it. We, we make it into beautiful jewelry. For the disciples, this would have horrified them. There is nothing in their intuition that would say, this is the way to life. He says, no, you must take up your cross. Yeah, Jesus, you mean what, what the Romans do? Like, we've seen that. We've seen people suffocate to death. We've seen people bleed out. We, we've smelled it, Jesus. Because the Romans will leave them up there for weeks on end to, to intimidate and oppress us. This is awful, Jesus. We've seen dogs tear at the bodies that fall off the cross. You're saying, this is what life looks like? No, thank you. My intuition says, I'm out. I cannot do that. That, that. That's crazy. And it's at this moment in the life and ministry of Jesus where the vast majority will hear this message and they'll take off. They're like, we can't handle that. Deny yourself, that's hard enough. Take up your cross, no way. Follow you, to where? To the cross, not going to do it. Jesus says, well, well, to his disciples as the crowds are, are, are little, maybe running away at this point, he says to his disciples, hey, before you go, I want you to consider something. Before you follow the crowds and this, you realize this is too hard, I want you to consider something. Look what he says. He says, for whoever would save his life. Okay, that's me. Or your translation. Whoever wants to save his life. I want to save my life, Jesus. That's why I moved to Parker. It's safer. Because I want to save my life. And I have a keto diet now. And I exercise. I want to save my life. Whoever wants to save your life. Everyone in the crowd's like, that's me. I mean, he's a master communicator. They're all tracking like, yes, yes, we want to save our life. What you just described sounds terrible. We would like to save our life. It's like, okay, okay. Whoever wants to save their life, us, us. And he says this, we'll lose it. And they're like, oh yeah. Actually, it doesn't matter what neighborhood I live in how many bad habits I eventually break, how much kale chips I eat over potato chips, how much CrossFit I do, a day is coming where I'm going to take my last breath and they're going to paint me like a clown and put me in a wooden box and lower me into the ground. That's true. It's like, y'all want to save your life? Yes, we do. Guess what? No one gets out of here alive. Okay. Okay, so what's the catch? So really you got something else. Well, let's keep going. He says, but, I mean, this is, in the Bible, this is a huge, like, as Pastor Matthew would used to say, this is a Sir Mix-a-Lot but, for those in the room that are a little bit older. This is a big but. And you're going to like it. But, whoever loses his life, you mean that life we're all going to lose anyway? Yeah, wh whoever loses his life, that we're going to lose anyway, 
for my sake will find it or save it. So he says, there is a way to, to lay down your life. There is a way to deny yourself. There is a way to take up your cross. There is a following of Jesus that in the end, actually, you don't lose your life. You, you actually find your life. You save your life. There, there is a way for that. Because here's the deal. Everyone outside of Christ will face two deaths. The Bible is very clear on this. The death of the body we all face and then the death of the soul when the final judgment comes and they are found to not be in Christ. So Jesus says, you're all going to die. But I'm telling you the way that you don't die forever. And they're like, okay. He says, well, let me, let me just come at it from one more angle here. Just in case that didn't catch you there. Verse 26. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world that yet forfeits his soul? So think about that. He just takes it to ridiculous levels. What if you had everything? What if that voice in your head said, I want this, and you got it? Everything. Like, what would that look like? I mean, we can't even fathom the whole world, but let's just, let's just make it into a, a place that we can fathom. What would that look like for you if you got everything the voice ever said that wanted in your life? What would that look like? I mean, it doesn't take long for us to just begin to come up with a list, right? And I just thought of mine, I'd be the first two-time Super Bowl and NFL MVP in two different positions, quarterback and receiver for the Denver Broncos. And then I would transfer to another sport. I would get picked up with a lucrative deal with the Los Angeles Lakers. After a long career, many championships, they would retire my number 22 Oshman next to Kobe Bryant. And then I would retire from there and I would go on to become the world's foremost architect, designing the best buildings in the world. I'd have houses in every beautiful city and some in the country like Montana because I'd, I'd want to enjoy that rustic look every now and again. And, and then I would, my kids would flourish and the, everything, like I could go on and on and on and on and you have your story as well. What? And so Jesus says, hey, let me just, let me just talk to you guys. Imagine, imagine for a moment that you got everything you ever wanted. Just imagine that. And, and you were the envy of the whole world and then you come and you take your last breath he says, now, what happens if you got all that and in exchange for that, you forfeited your soul? Like in, in an instant, you have an eternal perspective. You're like, well, it was all meaningless. Oh, but you were, the, you were the envy of the whole world for like 60, 70, 80 years. But, but 60, 70, 80 years is nothing. And I'm going to lose everything? Yeah, you're going to lose everything. But you got everything for 60 years. He says, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So, so you, get, you come before Jesus on judgment day and you have all this, all this history, all this stuff. And you're like, Jesus is like, okay, so what will you give up to get your soul? You're like, I'll give everything, everything for my soul and life with you. Jesus is just kind of waking us up to this reality because now Jesus has just shown you something that's true of you. Your intuition would never lead you to this spot, but Jesus just showed you something that's true of you. I've got it on the screen. That, that my life, my life is greater than my things. My soul, sorry. My soul is greater than my thing. That's a truth that all of us just arrived at. We're like, oh, okay. Or put it another way. Uh, life with Jesus, life with Christ is greater than everything. So now it doesn't seem like such a, such a bad trade-off, denying myself, taking up my cross, and following you. Jesus says, oh, I'm for your joy. 
I'm for your eternal joy forever and ever. And if anyone would come to this spot, he must follow me. So, so paradoxically, again, a place that our intuition would never take us, Jesus in this passage is showing us that true life comes through death. First his, and then ours as we follow him. Jesus, the, the Bible tells us that before the creation of the world, Christ planned this out. That he would leave heaven in glory, that he would live a perfect life and you and I could never live, uh, that he would go suffer, die on a cross, and, and on the third day, he would bust open the gates of Hades so that death could not hold him back. And he is leading a triumphal procession of all of his followers through the gates of Hades into eternal bliss with him. So death comes through life. And again, there's going to be parts of us, there's going to be parts today where, where, where you're going to hear this voice. Oh, I should get that. And then you're going to hear the voice of Christ. You should deny yourself. And in that moment, you've got a, a choice to make. Do I believe my intuition or do I believe what Christ has said? But this is actually a repeated theme throughout the Bible. Death comes through life. Let me just point out two microcosm examples in the life of the Christian where this is a reality. In your home, death comes through life. I mean, life comes through death, sorry. I said that wrong a bunch of times, sorry. True life comes through death. Um, man, how, how many times did I say that wrong now? I've really confused. You all tracking with me? Just not in your mask, okay. True life comes through death. First his and then ours, sorry. Um, so first in your homes and then in your church. Again, this isn't the whole of the Christian life, but, but, but in the Bible, it, there, there's this pattern laid out. True life comes through death. So Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus in, in Ephesians chapter 5, what's he say? He says, husbands, husbands, love your wives. Okay, we could do that. Like Christ loved the church and gave himself up and died for her. You're like, what? You want me to die, die for my wife? That's like all in. That's 100%. Yes. Because life, true life comes through death. You're like, no, 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 Jesus. My intuition says, no, we, we meet halfway. <laughs> my culture says, she does her part and I do my part. And then we have this sweet spot in the middle. And then I'll be happy, Jesus. That's, that's what marriage is about, right? No. No, 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 no. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. But what if she doesn't reciprocate? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. This is about you taking up your cross, following me. Uh, but, 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 but often in the, in the best cases, the, the, the greatest joy, you know, the, the most miserable marriages are, are when, when both people are trying to figure out, did you, did you meet me in the middle? Did I meet you in the middle? And, and there's never quite that overlap. But the best marriages are people that are, that, that are laying down their lives for Christ. And regardless of the other person, they, they are pouring themselves out. And, and Jesus says, life comes through death. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands. As the church submits to Christ. You know, like, again, Jesus, come over here. Come here, Jesus. You're wrong. It's 2020. We're, we're more progressive than that. But true life comes through death. So, in my marriage, there's, there, those of you that know me and know my wife know that I married way up. Like, way, way, way up. Like, she's smarter. 
She's more in tune to the things of the Spirit. She, she knows the Bible better. Like, my gift mix is pretty narrow. It's right here. Uh, but she's got a lot more to offer. She's got a lot more wisdom, all these things. But there are just several, several, several times in the course of our marriage where, where she comes and she's like, here's what I think, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit to you. <laughs> I'm going to follow, I'm going to trust the Lord to lead our family through the decision you're going to make here. And she's got freedom in that. She's also like, and by the way, you have to answer to God, so that's on you. <laughs> but, but it's a kind of dying to herself to be able to come to that point. And this is what Jesus is saying. True life comes through death. And, and on repeat in the New Testament, one of the ways that the, the, the gospel is going to spread is, is by those on the outside looking on the inside and seeing these people die for one another. These people, like, like if you study church history, literally die for one another. They literally lay down their lives for one another because they understand true life comes through death. It, it reminds me of a quote from uh, Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a, a missionary of the Aka Indians, 1956, trying to reach uh, this tribe that had been unreached with the gospel. And so uh, he had graduated Wheaton to take, take his new wife, Elizabeth Elliott, down to Ecuador. And, and they made contact, and he was martyred for his faith. And later in his life, or, or later his wife found his journal, and he had wrote this. He said this. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is what Jesus is saying. You're going to lose it anyway, so give it away. And you're going to gain the kingdom in the process. So, through our marriage, through our church, we, we, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to for our joy, for God's glory. We've got to learn to die to ourselves, to deny ourselves, to, to find a place, find a space where, where we, we, we serve one another, where we lay down our lives for each other. So, so we want to do that in our gospel community. We want to do that on Sunday mornings. Like we've in, invited you to find a place and, and there's, you can go online, but in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a strategic servant Sunday. We're going to have a, a, a board up here that has every role that you can serve and, and, and you can fill it out ahead of time. But, but on that Sunday, we're hoping that we all say, hey, this is how I'm going to die to myself. For the next six months, I'm going to lay down my lives for parents to, to, to just watch their kids, to pour grace and truth and mercy and the gospel into their kids as they get to worship themselves in the sanctuary and, and so on and so forth. We're going to ask everyone, everyone to lay down your life because it's for your joy, for your joy. Now, Jesus will build his church and the gates of Hades won't stop it. What he meant was death's not going to stop this thing. In fact, it was his death that provided the way for more advancement of the kingdom, for the ultimate advancement of the kingdom. So death didn't stop Jesus, it advanced the kingdom. The disciples will eventually wrap their lives around this whole message and they will lay down their lives and it doesn't stop the advancement of the kingdom. It advances the kingdom as they die. Jim Elliot, when, when he laid down his life, it didn't stop the advancement of the kingdom among the Aka Indians. It advanced it so that the whole tribe is now followers of Jesus. And as you and I lay down our lives for one another in our homes, for our neighbors and for the nations, it won't stop the advancement of the kingdom. It will advance it. So let's die together for the glory of God and the joy of all people. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word to us. It is a tough word that our 
hearts and our minds in and of themselves do not want to embrace. But Jesus, I thank you for your mercy. Lord, we're going to lose this life anyway. And you've given us the path to find life that is really life. So Lord, I pray this week that there would be tangible ways that we deny ourselves. And we love those in our family. We love those in our church. We love those in our city. Uh, just to see that this truth is, is real, that you are for our joy. So, Father, I know that we can't do that on our own. We need the gift of God for the people of God. We need the Spirit to lead us in that. So do that work now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.